0: Hello and welcome to the Inspired Equity podcast my name is Richard Pewthera and I'm here with my co-host business partner and wife Nina we are the founders of Inspired Equity the London based investment business that specializes in property acquisition and development and between us we are world record holders international investors prolific networkers speakers and coaches and it is our absolute pleasure to introduce our podcast on this show we'll be discussing all aspects of successful property investing covering everything from simple buy-to-let properties to multi-million pound developments we'll be interviewing industry leaders and hosting live q a's with expert panels and keeping you up to date with the ever-changing and exciting world of property tonight i have the great pleasure in introducing to you alex harrington griffin I first met Alex mid last year, and as soon as I met him, it was incredibly apparent that he's an ambitious and driven guy. He operates at an incredibly high level and is also exceptionally well connected. has many, many strings to his bow. Alex is the CEO of Trusted Land, which is an exceptional business that aids landowners, agents and property developers to find trusted professionals to carry out development projects and ensure that they're working with transparent and capable partners. But that's not all. Alex is also the CEO of Developers Boardroom, is director of Eagle Strategic Property, is a property developer himself, is on the funding committee of Land Aid, the wonderful charity that combats homelessness. And that's only me just scratching the surface. There's much more to talk about. Alex Welcome this evening. I'm delighted that you can join us. Thank you so much for being on our podcast. Thank you very much, Richard
1: and Nina, for having me.
0: Alex, I in the intro, I touched on a few things that, that you're up to before we delve into um, some of uh, the, uh, the wonderful things that you and Trusted Land do. Um, I mentioned you know, you've got this entrepreneurial spirit. Can you give us a bit of background about yourself? I know you've not just been involved in property in the past. Um, Please share with us a bit of background about yourself.
1: So I think the, the sort of the adult uh, journey started about 10 years ago when I finally had the, the sort of bold approach of leaving a, a well-paid job, as many of us have considered at some point, and going it alone. And I had three or four sort of full starts where I felt this is the idea, this is the one I'm going to go for, this is, it feels right and when you realize in the early stage you go and talk to your most positive friends they go yes go and go for it this is the one and then suddenly this doesn't feel right uh and luckily i managed to pull myself away from a few of those but about uh it 2011 i was headhunted for a company called groupon which i'm sure many of you know and really liked their business model uh but didn't like the culture it was one of these companies that for me at the time they felt very um they were trying to sell a lot about you know how much fun they're having people didn't look like having a lot of fun. So I, I dwelled on the idea and thought actually a group buying model in the B2B space would work really well. So that was business Crayon, my first business. Uh, I was in it for, for nine months and then ended up selling to the uh, competitor who was uh, above us essentially in the chain. They had a lot more funding, they had a lot more experience. They probably were in it for the long haul, whereas this is my first sort of delve into it, but um, it was a great experience. And Uh, It taught me a lot about hustling. It taught me a lot about how to make things happen on a very small budget. It taught me a lot about the kind of uh, the energy you can find in yourself when you really want something to happen. Um, It also taught me that you can get uh, some fantastic interns to work in your conservatory uh, for purely a few pittance and and a lot of Diet Coke. So that was quite an interesting experience, but they got a lot from it and we all got a good uh, result at the end of it. So, But yeah, I've, I've been... Throughout my sort of childhood years as well, I think I've, I've modelled my father's entrepreneurial um, habits. I, I turned up to Montessori school with a plastic briefcase, uh, four years old. So I kind of knew that the business world would, would have me at some point. Um, I, I sort of got involved in selling a lot of things and setting up small businesses uh, leading up to
0: 2011. Fantastic. And you've lived overseas as well and, and created businesses in other, um, in other countries. Uh, so, uh, yeah, go you go. No, I was going to
1: say it was um, I, I, well, my first international business was selling golf balls back to golfers uh, on a golf course at about seven years old. So that was my first foray into international property. Uh, so I feel like that's the, that's the validation for getting me here. I, I presume the international component but no um, more recently it was uh, I still have a business in South Africa I lived in Cape Town for two years I moved there kind of on a gut feel that um, I'd always wanted to start a business abroad before I was I was 30 and in I just sold my first company I was consulting I didn't really feel a lot of passion towards the company I was with Um, I didn't really have a lot that was keeping me here and I sort of realized that that uh, bucket list goal was sort of creeping along so uh, in 2012, or in 2012, I moved to South Africa, Cape Town. Uh, and I just did what I've realized now is the thing that I quite enjoy, which is just to go and find a couple of really good people who have good relationships with people I need to get to know and just spend as much time with them as possible. Um, so I still have a networking business there called Cape Marketing. I don't know if anyone has any ties here. I can see everyone here with Cape Town, but it's still there, it's still active. Um, we've got some great people looking after it. And essentially it gave way to what is now Developers Boardroom in the UK. So that's fun. It's nice to know that you know if, uh, if uh, things got very, very interesting in the UK in a, in a way that I wouldn't want to sort of stick around for a long time, I've got something pretty interesting to go back to Cape Town with. But it's a, it's a very good excuse to keep in touch with some really cool people over there. And also it gets me uh, some very, very good professional people who um, are very good value compared to some UK rates as well.
0: Sure, indeed. And you do quite a bit in property now as well. How did that all start? I'm, I'm aware, so I, I know your father and his family are in, in real estate property as well. How did it all start for you? Uh,
1: to be honest, it was, uh, I set up a marketing agency in South Africa. So I started a, um, uh, a retail platform aimed at youth fashion which I'm not fashionable and I'm not really into sort of youth culture which was a bit of a weird one but when you see an opportunity you kind of uh, you have to give it a strong go Um, and we managed to sell that business after nine months to a local retail brand which wasn't a huge amount of money it was just a nice way to get a bit of validation for myself in a completely new town where I didn't know anyone and I, I realized that being sort of an English guy with quite a posh accent people thought that I had all this sort of guru knowledge from uh, from the UK or from the West, and I came and uh, sort of delivered a few uh, seminars where I was invited to, and, and people liked to see to sort of um, enjoy what I had to say. So I decided that I wanted to help South African businesses in the retail and property space um, to adopt some of these kind of social media content partnership trends that were happening uh, and that I studied when I was in the UK and in my various roles uh, when I was starting businesses there. And it was really, really interesting because I managed to get through a lot of persistence. And that is a word that I I love. Uh, I managed to get Knight Frank and Remax, which is very big there, emerging in the UK as clients. And I was creating all this content for them, which was about international investment. But everything was about investing back in London. So I was there sort of, you know, firmly creating my roots, uh, having a family being property for 45 years, and everything, all the signals were basically saying, London, UK, London, UK. So in 2015 I decided that um, I couldn't ignore all these signals and as much as I was having fun there and playing a lot of volleyball and living this great outdoor lifestyle. If anyone has been to Cape Town, you'll know that wine, great wine is very affordable. There's a lot of nodding heads there. There's a lot of, yeah, amazing wine, great lifestyle. But I think if you really have the kind of the, the hint of ambitions and the things that are possible in europe in london uh, it's hard to sort of completely ignore the opportunity so i came back i did a mature apprenticeship um at, at 32 i did six months basically started making the tea doing a lot of running around uh helping to praise land deals spending time doing appraisals for new homes in this uh, land new homes division i spent two months trying to understand the world of planning uh something i still haven't got my head around now but just kind of threw myself into it and asked and got for the first time in my life got very comfortable with asking questions that I felt were quite simple but I'd always felt especially in property that you have to sort of maintain a level and you have to sort of show up that you know what's going on and I just realized I knew nothing so I had to go very very open-minded and that was that was a great baptism by fire just sort of going for the for the apprenticeship and it taught me a lot but then I just was excited and I know people like Ranjit and, and Milan, um, Milan you, know, you know, they work in the property world as well. And when you get something exciting, when there's, there's opportunities to get into development and, and you see some of the fantastic work going on from your peers around you, you just want to get going. So I went out and, and started doing it.
0: Fantastic. And before we delve into that a little bit more, you, you mentioned your family and 45 years of property investing. Um can you share with me some 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 of the things that um, your family might have been involved in? I know what you're trying to get out of me, so
1: I'll make it nice <laughs> and easy for the for the rest of the uh, the audience as well. So there's a, when I talk about my father and his uh, involvement in property, he started off when he was 19 in Earl's Court um, and he was involved in student hostels. So he, uh, believing in a very good yield, used to try and pack in as many beds as possible into his hostels and they actually... Gave himself or managed to earn himself the nickname of Sardine Griffin, which is not something I think that necessarily I feel I should be proud of him for, but in terms of creating a good yield, he was very good at that. Uh, and that took him, took him into property investment and property development. But he, uh, the things you're trying to get out of me is, is he's been involved in everything you can imagine from, he bought two graveyards in, in West London at one point for a pound each. Um, actually cost him quite a bit to get rid of them, but it was an interesting story involving a princess uh, that actually bought them. Uh, from gay restaurants to marinas to retirement villages to coal miners' homes to football clubs. He's been involved in every kind of deal of you can imagine. And it wasn't that he had a strategy, which is very strange for me because I'm quite methodical. You and I have got to know each other, and I know you are as well. But he just seemed to have, have gone with his gut and, and took this approach, which is you know, take a good, healthy amount of risk, but um, just surround yourself with good people as
0: you do it. Fantastic, thank you. And uh, you were absolutely correct. That was where, where I was trying to steer you down um, down that route. So back back to you, Alex. The um, so your apprenticeship—it's uh, such a bold move. Uh, you know, you've had your own business, and then um, taking that step back, knowing that you're going to leap forward um, with, with great bounds. Um, nervous times for you, but you did ultimately end up uh, getting into property development yourself. Can you talk to us about that journey, please?
1: So I did two years. I don't don't develop property anymore. I had to sort of hang my boots up as we realized we had a bigger mission with trusted land. And I I wanted to avoid the the kind of conflict, but it was, it's incredible. It's so, it's such a multifaceted business that I I take my hat off to all the developers we've got to know and all the ones that I've met, because it is, there's so many layers to it. And I still feel now that maybe some of the, the downsides are not spoken about. And we're not here to talk about, you know, the things that can go wrong, but, it is such a glamorous industry in some ways, and and Ranjit will know this as well. Um, that you know, there's a lot of great things that can happen from it. You can get fantastic deals, which are amazing. Um, but obviously, there is you know there's downsides, and it's just it's a complicated space. And you really have to be. I mean, part of our work now is to is to make sure that we can introduce the right professionals to any project. On my first project was 37 different companies, and I use that number a lot because it's it's the recognition of how many different groups of people we had to speak to, to get a 10 unit development off the ground and over. I loved it. And the difference between what I do now, I suppose, and the thing my, my dad does like to remind, remind me of, and compared to my first businesses, is that you actually are building something you can, you can touch, it's there. And I'm actually going this weekend back to the area where I did my first development. And it is lovely to go and see it. And it really does, I've become obsessed with the, the word legacy. And I love the fact that I can go back to Cheltenham and go and see the development that I created. I get a little bit tetchy when I see sort of washing lines up and things on the balconies. I sort of take a little bit too much pride, but um, it's nice, no, it's lovely to see that come together. And to know that genuinely, I mean, you, you, anyone who's involved in property will hear it and they'll see it on marketing brochures about people wanting to create homes and wanting to sort of solve the housing crisis. But when I when I've been part of that journey, and I'm sure a lot of people here will also appreciate, when you actually see you know, good families and good people living in the accommodation that you're creating, it does give you a genuine sense of what I'm doing is bigger than just creating a paycheck or creating a business or creating wealth. You know that you're creating something that is, you know, it sounds cliche, but it is a, a safe, enjoyable space for someone. And especially looking back now, not to get into the, the COVID scene, but I'm really proud that we created, you know, but I spent more money on our, on our landscaping, that we spent more money on Extending outdoor spaces because I just know that that would have been so much more valuable during a a time like this So I really really enjoyed it. Um, I do miss it because it is amazing seeing these things come to life But as I said, we're we're on a pretty sizable mission now and we're we're very
0: focused on it And I couldn't agree more Alex the there's something that gives me that that great sense of achievement when you stand back and look at a development You've completed so completely understand uh, what you're saying the Um, that led to you creating Trusted Land. And I mentioned in in the intro, and it's an exceptional business, it it connects people and ensures that um, people are doing business and developments with the the trusted partners that you need to, because uh, you mentioned that you didn't want to talk about the the negative and the pitfalls, but sometimes I think it it is important to do so in property development because there are so many pitfalls that you can actually uh, get caught up in. So um, how did it, um, how did Trusted Land come about? And can you share with us a bit more about the business, please?
1: It's a good, it's a good question. I think the, the easiest way to explain it was, I'm a marketer by background. So I feel that one of my strengths was, was getting to the people we want to speak to, which was landowners. Many will, many people will recognize that a good property deal starts with the land or the building you're working with. So I was I was good at getting in front of the people we need to speak to. and I think because I'd become quite okay with just admitting what I don't know. I I think I found a level of, I suppose authenticity that I'd never really felt comfortable with beforehand where I could say things I don't know and I do know and put across quite an honest view of the things that we could do and accept what we couldn't do in terms of making deals happen overnight or to reach someone's, you know, massive number of what they wanted for a site. And it just, as I got in front of more and more landowners and I started hearing their stories and because I was quite open, we got a good relationship and and more and more landowners were open with me. I started hearing these stories that made me feel increasingly uncomfortable around, I suppose a lot of developers who didn't have the best intentions or didn't necessarily sit behind any sort of public name or profile or brand, or that they were quite comfortable With agreeing a price and gazundering at the last second, you know, chipping away at the last second with no valid reason. And when you meet these people, as I'm sure a lot of people will will recognize no matter what space you're in, especially if you are with someone who is maybe considering a a sort of a big uh, change in their life, maybe they are retiring, maybe this is the you know unlocking a huge piece of wealth. The idea that people were in an unregulated space of property development going out and convincing people to do deals with them that either they had no intention of doing, either they had no ability to doing, and they were sort of maybe misguided by their own belief in in their ability, which is fine it's part of entrepreneurship. But I just didn't sit right that these people were making life changing decisions, working with people who didn't have the best intentions, or I think just would, would eventually end up letting people down. And we started hearing more and more stories. And after, After sort of, I think it was 75 or 76 landowner meetings when I count back, um, I just decided that, uh, I mean, the phrase we went with was I I called bullshit. It just, you know, I'd watched too many of these conversations and I've been involved in too many where I'd heard people who just didn't really have any regard for the people they were dealing with. And when I hear about property development getting a bad name, I was thinking, well, of course it is. It's, It's these individuals that I keep hearing about those bad experiences are multiplying and that's why property gets bad industry. I've realized now there are so many good people and genuine firms out there. It's the thing we try and do is champion those ones, but it is like in many industries, a small few who are giving the industry a bad name and I decided there must be a better way of doing this. It's a, it's a very opaque space. It's wildly inefficient still. And I just thought it was a nice, We could do something that would genuinely help the people who are involved in unlocking the housing and all the other kind of cliche things but ultimately for individual families for private owners for people who were unlocking their pensions you know to sell a piece of land or an mot center or a pub or whatever they've got but just to have some sort of empowerment to say i think this is a good one yes i want to work with them rather than being sold a fantastic story getting dragged along by a fantastic figure or high number or promise of all these returns And it never came to fruition, which happens still far too much. So that's kind of our mission. And it was taking my experience of of sitting with those landowners and realizing that technology can help us do a lot of things. There's a huge amount of data out there that can help create a more transparent space. And we could also create an environment where those who wanted to be transparent, who want to put themselves out there as we are a brand, we're building something, we care about our reputation, our legacy that we'd given the functionality to, to do that, uh, to differentiate themselves from those who who preferred to kind of hiding in the shadows
0: because it was more convenient for them. Sure. Uh, and are you able to give an example of how this works? So for example, I've um, I've got a plot of land that, um, that's been in my family for a number of years and I want to, someone to develop it for me. How does it work? Does someone have to Pay to become a member or do you give this access to um, all that um, require it and then how does that process marry up with your trusted um, members
1: so for the landowner side for those who represent the land there's no fees essentially it is a in our original model we did have a, a success fee but basically we felt that at the end of the day, they had, they had the, the thing, the raw material, the resource that people wanted so they should be invited in, given some basic information so they at least understand a little bit more about the process. I always use a car analogy. If I took my car in, I like cars. I don't know much about them. Somebody who's a specialist could tell me anything and I'd have to go along with it and believe them. And for land, it is often, you know, taking a car to for an MOT is not the biggest transaction you'll ever do. Selling a portion of land, selling a house for redevelopment, selling a, a business space is probably going to be the biggest transaction that a lot of these people ever deal with. So just trying to balance, level the playing field a little bit, not in a way that would confuse the situation, but just so they felt more comfortable in the questions they were asking, how to sort of ask the right questions to essentially interview a prospective buyer. So we always invited them in to, to essentially to have a um, I don't want to say a safe space, but a more kind of neutral space to, to meet quality developers. And then the other side who are essentially uh, meeting our members, those are our, our clients essentially. But we, ha- we take applications from developers. We look at their track record, three compete key components, track record, their brand and their presence and their profile and the business and the business records behind them to make sure there is a solid business there. Somebody that, as I will say, if you were selling my parents' piece of land, that I would want to be selling to, feeling like I'm doing a good deal with someone. So we are we use a matching service essentially with um, wherever a piece of land is, wherever a building site is, to take the the kind of the key criteria and match them up with developers who've got the right kind of track record and the ability to make that deal happen. Um, and
0: those are our, our client base essentially. Brilliant. And Alex, I, I know that you've, um, invested significantly in the software that operates behind the scenes. How, how does that work? How does that marry up the, the right partners or the right trusted um, or the real developers to, to, to those clients or landowners, for example? So you are right, we have
1: invested significantly. Not all of it is available to play with and, and to go and check out at the moment. Uh, and in fact, anyone who does know Trusted Land will, will be looking forward to uh, next week to a, a sort of refresh that will come with it and a few releases of things that we can work on in the background. And this has been, a, a you know, frankly, it's been a, a three-year incubation project for us whilst we assess really what do we need to do to, to solve this problem. It is a, it's a big opportunity. It, is a, it comes with, it's a multifaceted problem. And we want to be sure with what we're doing. We're taking the right steps. So what we're releasing very soon is essentially it's a matching algorithm that takes the data of the piece of land or the project. So we can talk about land if you are a developer and you want to match your project up with the best architect, with the best planning professional, with the best quantity surveyor, whichever of the 35 professionals you need will cover the first kind of uh, five or six initially, and then go into those 35. But, Identifying the right professionals to speak to that have the track record and have the capability to deliver on the project you've got. Essentially, that's our our service. It's something that we've seen in consumer spaces. You can think about things like TripAdvisor or or Bookings.com in terms of how you book consumer products. You put in information and it generates you a short list of of possible matches. We've taken the same approach, but um, have pulled data from lots of different places, including from developers and the professionals themselves. get a good picture of who's who what they've done beforehand and then getting them to the right projects i think now is you know for anybody regardless of using trusted land or regardless if you're choosing a marketing firm or a pr firm or whatever it is i think there's even more importance now that people get comfortable with asking difficult questions and doing due diligence on the people they're working with because there is there's less room for room for error you know whether it's property development whether it's starting a new business whether it's choosing a creating a marketing campaign i think choosing the people you're working with i don't know if it's a a slightly british thing i still think we are maybe too easily sold into what we're we're um we're given as information i know i've i've sort of been guilty of it in the past with marketing companies um i think now it's particularly important to make sure we ask questions just just look at things like track record you know what have they been involved in beforehand and And be okay with doing a a second or a third meeting and and asking difficult questions we all want to do business we all want to keep our pipeline going we all want to look after the next client coming in um, whether it's property development or anything else but i think making sure that we just take a second to think about who we're working with because most people here will know you want to work with a small group of people and you want to work with them for a long time changing professionals changing your suppliers changing the people you have around you is it can be costly and it also is, It takes a lot of time as well. So I think if I can just encourage everyone to get very comfortable in asking more questions and, and using the internet, there's a lot of information there. It may take a little bit longer when you don't have something like trusted land to help you, but it's, um, it's vitally important, especially now.
0: It, it's br- brilliant advice. And I, I've seen see your, your platform. We're at, at Inspired Equity delighted to be a a real developer and have that accreditation with with Trusted Land. And we see all of the benefits of that as well. Uh, Only um, this week, I've had another lead come from uh, a a lady that has a piece of land that, um, from looking through the Real Developers uh, database on Trusted Land came across Inspired Equity. So um, there's the benefits of that. Fantastic. We also sit shoulders to shoulder with um, exceptional um, industry peers, and one of the things I love about the property industry is that um, even though technically we're competitors with each other, um, the real ones do actually have this very sharing approach, share best practice, talk about what's going on in their businesses. And it's one of the things I love. So the, uh, what you're doing, Alex, is exceptional, not just for the people who have the land or looking to find the right people to work with, but for us as developers as well. It's, um, it really does provide an exceptional plan. Thank you very much. Can I just touch on one of the questions
1: that I saw come through um, You can indeed. around the trusted part? So I, I look desperately, I'm, I'm a little bit obsessed with acronyms, and I, I was desperately trying to find some way to, to build, to bring kilt into our, our name at some point, or the name of our tool, which essentially stands for No like, and trust, which is the thing that everybody knows is, is the fundamentals when you're taught on how to sort of, you know, find the right people to do business with, especially in business to business. And in terms of the trust, nobody, we can't sell trust. We can't say that you can trust this person, but we can give you the first parts. And this is what I think everyone should make available. It's, it's the knowing and essentially the, the liking. So we provide us a, a platform that gives you the information so that you feel that you know who you're talking to and knowing about someone, knowing what they are about, what they stand for, what they've done beforehand, what their beliefs are, their values, their team, everything else gives you confidence in who you're talking to to get to the next stage. Then we go through the, you know, the light component is we provide environments uh, like our virtual conferences, like the, uh, the sort of 150, 200 person uh, professional meets that we used to do pre COVID um, providing those environments so people can start to get to know each other in a sort of semi-professional environment. Obviously there's a little bit of, you know, a fun component, but just to be able to work out who they'd like to work with. Now they've got the fundamental knowledge. And the trust comes as a result of that. So we do our due diligence you know, on, the, on the hard facts, the business information, their track record. We, we verify what they've done. We collect recommendations. That's the part that gives us at least trust in who we're bringing on board. But the trust of anyone with a network is built through doing the first two things. So we provide the getting to know them um, and the like. You know, we, we create environments where people can get to sort of feel who they'd like to work with and, and work with over a long period of time. And as everyone who's involved in any kind of property knows, it's not a, you know, it's not a quick service. This is sometimes 12, 18, 24, 36 months of, I was married to my architect, it felt like at one point. So, you know, it's, it's a lot of time with these people and to spend that degree of time with them, you want to feel that you feel comfortable who you're, who you're working with. So we're just trying to make that initial process easier so that everyone can get on with relationship building and, and spend more time on the things that are important.
0: Fantastic. Thanks Alex. And then I'm going to move this on to the um, the, the matter of the developers investment group. Um, I mentioned at the beginning that I've proudly been talking for the last probably six months about um, us at Inspired and 11 other developers forming this sort of collaborative um, effort to um, have a purse of 30 million pounds to go out and, and acquire distressed assets. But this was ultimately your, uh, your initiative, something that you put together. So, Um, what is Developers Investment Group? Why did you say, right, we have to start this and what's it all about? Developers
1: Investment Group is probably one of the most exciting things that I've ever had the opportunity to get involved in. And it was extremely, it sort of brought me back to to three years ago of really just hustling a a concept together and getting going with it because we had four weeks to put it together. Obviously, one of the things that anyone who's involved in property investment here will know is that you look at a result of what's going on around you and you focus on where the opportunity is. It's not trying to capitalize on anything that's happening negative, but we are investors, we are developers, we are business people and trying to look at the silver linings within that. So certain properties becoming available and and really just, I think it's being realistic about what is going to happen around us or what did happen around us and knowing that there'd be pressure on certain developers, knowing there'd be pressure on lenders who had money out knowing there'd be pressure on investors who had invested in you know certain projects we we knew there was unfortunately going to be some some people who fall to the wayside we knew there was going to be pressure on people to get out of projects and to to be able to sleep at night knowing that they've covered off the the interest payments and and sort of satisfy the bank's requirements especially when there's personal guarantees involved as well which is you know stressful um we knew there was going to be a group of people out but we also knew that it was mostly going to be developers and professionals. And if we could gather a group of developers who some of them have been through this scenario, you know, there's nobody in there who hasn't been pinched at some point. So it's not like you have these sort of, you know, uh, sort of uh miters touch group who, who've never suffered any sort of hardship or, or downfalls, they'd all been through it. And I think putting a group of people together who we knew A were real developers, so we'd done our initial vetting on them. B, they've been in the in the trusted land and developers boardroom network for some time, gave us confidence that if we were gonna introduce these group of people to somebody who was in distress, who was under pressure, who was you know, very proud of what they've done but have found themselves through no fault of their own in a very tense situation, they were at least gonna be able to emphasize at a, at, a, at a level that would make it slightly more comfortable. And if we could ask, if we could show proof of funds and there's a lot of people who would want guarantee they don't want to get messed around they don't want to have a someone who feels like they're taking advantage of their situation they don't want to feel like that it's being moved on and and you know, it's, you know it could be two years worth of work to get a project off the ground only to be affected by covid and have to move it on you know these are little legacy projects it all goes towards our track record and you do get attached to your projects as well so being able to move somebody on i suppose with some some pride and some feeling like you know a bad situation has been it's taken off their off their shoulders but in a way that is a bit more comfortable than having it stripped away from them or someone just stripping out all the profit and and leaving them with nothing it felt like something that we were in a good position to do Um, and having having a 30 million pound proof of funds is something I've never been involved in before and it's amazing the kind of uh, doors and, and interest that people show towards you when you when you present like that especially when you have got and I, i've got a prop with me as well when you've got a sort of uh, you know a bit of collateral show these are the people you're working with it's not a group of mystery people who you know you'll never meet and as just a mystery pot and it's going off to, to whatever con- overseas country these are people based in the uk who have track record who understand what's happening and they are able to help people move on from whatever situation they're in
0: Brilliant, uh, Alex, and I'm I'm thoroughly proud and delighted to be a part of that. It's um, yeah to see that um, verified proof of funds letter uh, when it first was um, um, once you gathered all of these um, the collective proof proof of funds was uh, yeah great to see, and I know the work that you've put into it to ensure that there's there's deal flow coming our way is um, yeah is outstanding. I think one of the things that we probably can both agree that it has
1: been one of the most uh, remarkable pieces is we wanted to make sure that we weren't just using whatever you know strategies we'd used before and we wanted to try and sense check ourselves and, and understand what the market was doing and also this is a unique time when anybody who's been involved in setting up events knows that you know great quality content and great quality speakers um you know are hard to come by and sometimes diaries and travel just make it difficult so we quickly moved to some of the contacts that i'd I'd built up and we got a i'm going to call it an all-star lineup of people who came to spend time with us and it was just amazing to see people and i think it was almost an interesting phase had it been any other time maybe there wouldn't have been so much openness maybe there wouldn't have been so much consideration around how do i help other people help other entrepreneurs but i think you'll agree We, we met some ceos some chairmen some founders of big organizations you know really yes. great companies who were very generous with what they they advised us on were very open about their own situation you know when you had people who would be doing this for 35 40 years very successful you know famous in our industry saying i just admit that i don't know what to do right now and if you guys want to share some insights with me i'm happy to learn so it was very it was very rewarding and very humbling to see some of these people come to the table and share their stories share their experience but also just share where they're kind of almost a little bit vulnerable like the most, like the rest of us are at certain points, especially like now.
0: Yeah, indeed. And it's, um, long may that continue, Alex, and it's um, something exceptional that you've put together. So um, thank Thank you for for doing so. I've I've got some questions that have been coming in. So um, do you mind if I do a quick fire round of questions to to you? Let's go for it. Perfect. So first one, I think I know the answer to this one. It's about entrepreneurs um, being taught to fake it until they make it. Um, Given what you've talked about uh, tonight, particularly with trusted land, what's your view on that? Uh, I faked it a
1: a lot in the early days. Uh, I had to, I felt like, I felt like I I had to do it because I was often young. I was the youngest in certain situations. And because I, I suppose watching my father, I was quite brave to put myself in scenarios that maybe I wouldn't have done. I felt like I had to, turn up at a certain level. And I think I actually think JC Fox said something when I when I saw him in Cape Town in 2014 which was faking it is one thing but just showing up in a mental state that makes you feel that you know what I'm not going to get thrown out by a particular question um or I'm just going to be relaxed with the fact that I don't know and have that confidence that I know I can go find information or I can go discover this with you know because it's been brought to my attention in this conversation. So I have definitely faked it in the early days to to be more comfortable than I am. I've always been a slightly anxious person. I actually sort of used to suffer from quite a bit of anxiety when I was in my early 20s. And I just forced myself into scenarios that drove it out of me or I just realized it wasn't that much of an issue. Um, so I, I did certainly fake it in the early days. But I think I've, I've now changed the label, which is just showing up in a state that makes me feel, you know, I'm. I, I'm come to what I can do and I know I can do things and I want to use this opportunity to, to learn what I don't know and, and learn from it and be proud of the things that I do take on.
0: I, I think that's a, a brilliant outlook. Thank, thanks, Alex. And the next question, it picks up on one of your points right at the outset and you talked about persistence in property. How important is persistence? it
1: this way it is one of the three words that's going in the title of my book when I write it one day uh it is it's not just property it's everything and I and I from the things that I have been successful in I will put persistence as such a big part of it and I read it the other day that it wasn't about nagging until someone says yes it's being persistent I suppose in believing in what you're doing with some reality checks as well to make sure that you're on the right path and you're not, uh, someone said the other day, uh, running East for a sunset. Um, you know, it's, it's about checking yourself, but I think persistence is just something that I have realized, even if I have to fake that and convince myself that I'm ready for this and I want to get up and I want to go and just throw myself into something. It's the thing that I've realized has got results. We are having, um, and I can, I think I can say this. We're having a, a very, high level conversation with one of the top property organizations that's taking me 18 months of just trying to be where they are you know whether it's social media or be at events I spent 650 pounds to attend a property event last year just to speak to one person and I got to speak to them but that was our intro and then I got a 20 minute minute meeting two months later but I just knew they would unlock things and I knew we had something to deliver a value so I think just convincing myself a recognizing the word and what you know, looking back to where it served me. Um, and in property, yeah, things are, things are long-winded. I can start a website tomorrow and have a, you know, I can have create a hundred person sort of, um, you know, lead list via Facebook or LinkedIn within 24 hours to create a property development off the ground, to get planning, to, to get the investment. It takes time. and It takes, you know, a, a lot of patience. So I think just persisting and believing that if you really want to do this and it's not just about the money, then persistence, you know, will, will definitely serve you very well in property and in anything, in anything. But you've got to, you've got to. All of us know. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm a preacher, but you've all got to believe in what you're doing, and it can't
0: just be about the money side. It's, it runs out. I, I couldn't agree more. Do you know, at the start of my entrepreneurial journey, um, someone said to me, "If you focus on the money, it just won't happen." And I had to ponder that, but it's, I now f- firmly and wholeheartedly support that, that viewpoint. You've got to do, it's, it's all about doing the right thing. The, the next question is um, uh, I have here is, is asking for examples of collaboration of people that are in the trusted land network that are, are, are doing business together. Do you have any um, recent examples of some, some great collaboration?
1: I'm smiling because uh, I went out to, the, to central London for the second time yesterday to one of our, our favorite haunts where we've served property developers in the industry for two and a bit years, a place called M Victoria, lovely place if anybody, I'm pescatarian, but they do incredible uh, meat there as well and steaks, um, but it's a really great venue for, for hosting events that we have run and we ran an event in February which was just before lockdown kicked in, Richard you were there um, and we've had a lot of business that's been done in that event and I'm only hearing about it now, which makes me want to move our technology along so we can start tracking these things, especially when we've we've helped create business. But I think seeing developers working together is incredible. Uh, There's been a lot of work between the professionals and the developers who have got to know each other. I think... Collaboration is an interesting word, and also partnerships. And I used to run, uh, I did for three years, I was—I uh, created the, the forum, but I ran Partnership Marketing UK, and it was the, the biggest partnership marketing blog in the UK for quite some time, uh, and I actually gave it to a partnership marketing agency. Um, and it was interesting kind of studying the concept of collaboration because there's a temptation to disguise sales as partnerships, which a lot of big companies, especially in the, the media space, will do nowadays. I think genuine collaboration is really trying to work out what this is going to mean for you and really getting in tune with what it's going to mean for the person you're working with, because that is when it becomes really fun. And when I've seen people who have not just done it because there's a direct business gain out of it, or because they need someone and you're going to fulfill that person and we call it collaboration. When you see some two people who are in tune with, I know this is going to be fantastic for our business. And it's also going to get that person to that next stage honestly i I genuinely get a little bit emotional like it's incredible to see because people genuinely care about the outcome and what it's going to mean for the other person whether it's a great financial reward whether it's going to be leapfrogging them into a uh, a community or a group of people or even just a space that could mean something different for them so i couldn't give you exact we've seen developers working together we've seen um architects and and planning firms working together to create new concepts around modular housing and recycled plastic and all these kind of things. But I think it's more about, maybe it answers the question, maybe it doesn't. But for me, the exciting thing is watching collaborations where people genuinely give a shit about what happens for the other person. That's very cool.
0: I think you've answered the question perfectly. Thank you, Alex. And the penultimate question, um, uh, and it kind of follows on from that and it's a question I love, it's one I asked um, in the meeting you arranged for us with Keith Breslauer and um, it's about um, how to um, pick your joint venture partners and so um, the question we have in is um, can we elaborate on pitfalls um, to, um, to, to avoid for setting up joint ventures?
1: I will answer as best as I can. Uh, There's a lot of other people who are much better qualified than me to, to answer it from a technical perspective. I think just in terms of if I was having a chat with you guys in, in a pub or in Victoria over a steak, I would say that it's not, it's getting carried away in the emotions. And I think it's very easy to say that when you're not in the situation, because you're, you've got a project, you've got a development site, you've got a business and you think this is going to be great. This is generally going to do something. And this is, it's got a great chance of success. And that, Having been in that situation, this is my uh, developer's boardroom. Was my seventh business. Um, having been in that situation beforehand, looking back, you just—it's the momentum. It doesn't matter how old or young you are. You know that excitement is—is is what gets us going. But it will often disguise not doing some of the basics. And I've become obsessed with with sort of doing DD, not in a kind of a creepy way, but just in a way that I go, I know I've done my fair bit of homework, so I know who I'm talking to and what we're getting involved in. And I think trying to sort of almost find the most negative person, you know, and get them to ask you questions about your partnership. And when you can't answer one of those questions confidently, or you haven't recognized, you haven't spent enough time, or you haven't gone and, and you know, asked them to Tom Bloxham from urban splash said the other day, he takes people on long train rides. So um, take someone on a long train ride, go and do something, you know, non-businessy together, but just to spend the time and really, uh, really st- I'm trying to understand what they're about and I think one of the things that I'm, I'm very keen on in the future and if anyone wants to explore this in a year's time when I've got a bit more bandwidth I'm happy to give it a go um, there was the uh, she's the chief executive of a remember the name of it one of the major property companies it will come to me in a second and she said she does the teabag test on people which sounds a bit odd um, but essentially it's to put people in you know if you want to see how strong someone is put them in hot water and I think we, we create a lot of these situations where we go and talk to a joint venture partner, we talk to a potential investor, and we talk about all the stuff that's gonna go right. I think we'll try and find the situation where you know, you're gonna be surprised by something and just see how they respond. Look at their temperament, look at their, you know, how relaxed they are, look at their, their decision-making, in that scenario. And if anybody wants a slightly fun way to do this, uh, Trusted Land interviews, its final stage is to take someone to, someone to an escape game. So we genuinely take our, uh, at the last round of hire, so our fourth round of interviews, we take someone to an escape game, me and the team just see how they act and we, we help them out a bit, we have some fun. But I promise you, from all the things I've done in recruitment and building teams, for me, A, because I love games and I love challenges, but it's also one of the few environments I've seen that as the clock's running up, as the adrenaline music starting to go, that you start to see a little bit of a sense of a character that people can't mask because the excitement gets ahead of them, the adrenaline's there, and it genuinely is a way to see a little bit of how someone actually acts in a scenario where there's a little bit of tempo going. It's not a bad scenario, but you, know, you don't want to go around <laughs> creating bad scenarios and you can have some fun with it. So that, that would be the thing that I would say is, is just to find your way of spending time and get to know the real person you're potentially working with.
0: I think that is um, an exceptional Viewpoint and Alex, I'm very grateful for um, for you sharing that with us. Um, the two key things uh, there for me: uh, doing something that's not normal with them, like the train ride scenario, I think is exceptional, and then also um, the tea bag test, putting someone in hot water. Uh, personalities do become very apparent when people are under pressure, and I think that's an exceptional test. So, so thank you for sharing that. Cool. So, And the, the last question, there's been a few questions of, um, of a similar uh, nature, but it's my last question. It kind of wraps them all up. Um, what's next for you? What's next for your business? And what's your view on the property market for the coming 12 months?
1: Oh. See, I cheat a little bit because I surround myself by people who are much smarter in the property space than me. So I get them to answer a lot of the property market questions. So I'm, I'm very lucky in, in my persistence has got us in with some, some very senior people of some very big companies that come and share those insights. So I get to, I get, I get to dip out of that one to, to say, I, I probably won't give an opinion on the property market because I just think there's, there's too many considerations to, to factor in. And, and I, like to, I like to let the experts really lean on it. All I, all I will say is that I'll tell you in a second what is next for Trusted Land, but I think all of us have seen a lot of material that came out. I'm sure you, some of your fantastic speakers, I attended a couple of your sessions as well, have reiterated there is, there is a lot of opportunity within this. And providing you don't just jump for the first thing that you see and you think about Where the fundamentals of business, the fundamentals of relationships will start to evolve or or sort of adapt to whatever's going on for the next 12, 18 months, there is significant opportunity within this as well. And I don't for one second want to disguise the the tragedy that goes on as opportunity, but we have to keep going. We have to stay positive. We have to reflect what's going on in our own bubble. And that is to create something we're excited and, and feel proud of, you know, at the end of the day. And I would, I'm, looking very very closely at how we can adapt our existing business and also just how we can help the the developers the professionals within our community take that next level step perfect example is this you know this is a chance for people to see each other to, to talk to each other to pick the brains of other people in their space and maybe get some hard some hard truths from other people this is not going to disappear in any way so you know i've talked to people about you know you know leaving the events world and becoming experts in how to to form genuine relationships online you know not just uh you know a quick sort of um get to know each other or a quick sort of webinar session but actually forming solid relationships i've got two people who work for me that i've never met um which is a very strange experience and i want to try and unpack where these kind of concepts will start to build in the future and we'll actually end up doing more interviews we'll do more recruitment we'll do more collaborations more partnerships based on the fact we don't have to get into a car or a tube to go and do them all the time. So. That's what we're going to explore uh, is how we can help facilitate good, I suppose, early conversations using the, the virtual space. Obviously not jumping too far ahead so that we're, you know, we're ahead of our time, but just to to adjust and adapt. And um, yeah, property market, I think uh, go to one of the many, many spaces that has some fantastic experts uh, sharing advice on that one. So sorry, sorry I ducked out of that question.
0: I, I think you uh, answered it suitably, so I appreciate that. Alex, it's been an absolute pleasure of mine this evening for you to join us. I know I can see by the nods and uh, um, the uh, uh, the acknowledgements through the other people on the callers, uh, the audience, they've appreciated it too. What nice you're doing to everyone
1: because it's just nice to see I've got it, all the screens up as well yeah. it's actually just nice to see some some people in this kind of mode as well so yeah thanks everyone for for hanging out it's been really it's really, ni- really nice being on the other side of, of an interview camera as well for so <laughs> and uh yeah if anybody wants to connect on on LinkedIn my ridiculously long name is the only one that exists Alex Harrington Griffin uh, I do use LinkedIn quite a bit and I do like it so yeah uh, Julia's on there as well it's nice. No, a really good format it's really enjoyable thanks very much for having me
0: Well, that wraps up today's show. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about what we do or to get to know us, please visit inspiredequity.com. Join us on our next show for more interactive property discussions. Until then, I wish you good health and continued success. Go out there and be inspired.